to welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross, and with me today are Jeff and Austin Martin. Thank you. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, so where where did we first meet? You guys came out to, it was the community event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah the okay. community event. And how did you guys hear about that originally? I heard about it through a YouTube video. Um, John Level. John Lovell's lawyer mentioned you guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would probably be Josh Prince. Joshua Prince, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He's, he, he's a good friend of mine. Okay. So you guys heard about us from him. He suggested you looked us up. You came to that community event. And uh, what was your overall reaction uh, at that event? Um, it was awesome. And it was like, yeah, this is the type of people I want to be around. And <laughs> this, they're... Uh, Talk in my mind, you know. Yeah. Cool. So after that, you guys, um, you sign up for a couple of, uh, was it a live fire class first or was it a CQB class? I think it was your medical class first. Okay. And okay. Be- and before that, so we went to the body armor, body armor uh, seminar and room clearing and then the medical, wasn't it? Either way. Okay. And we've been to night vision now, and that was pretty awesome. Highly, highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So as you guys were out of class, and as we normally do, you know, in between drills and stuff, or when we're eating chow, where we start talking and get to know you guys, and the two of you opened up and started telling us a little bit about uh, your background and and your, I guess, your experience, your story. And uh, I really thought it'd there are a lot of people would benefit from you guys sharing that experience. So with that said, I, I know the first question you wrote down here. Um, before we get to that question, do you want to uh, give us some background as to how you got to Kenya? So um, we didn't have much uh, involvement or any uh, choice in it. But uh, so parents, uh, there's an opening. They needed missionaries or to send to our mission down there. Uh, So they felt called, um, signed up, started going to different uh, meetings and stuff, talking about it. Um, Dad said that the one night he was really concerned. He was like, I'm making a huge decision for not just myself, but my whole family. And he wasn't sure. But that night, uh, angels came and they were singing for him. Uh, and he knew, you know, this is what I need to do. Okay. So. So your your family went and what did that consist of? What, what did your family consist of that, that went to Kenya? Well, it was mom, dad, um, Jeffrey, myself, and one other brother that's okay. uh, just a little bit older than me. Okay. So the five of you went there. And so now let's get to that, that first question. Um, overall, what was Kenya like? So... You know, it's uh, it's right on the equator. So you got you got a few different climates that we were kind of in the middle of. So where we were, what year was this? Uh, two thousand and six. We went there January two thousand. Okay. And how old were you guys? 
So, and that's important. So as you were explaining your impression, what you saw, you're looking at it yeah. from the eyes of what a three-year-old, 13-year-old, 23-year-old, you know, that, that, that tells a lot. Right. So I would have been 12 and 13. It was on my sixth birthday that we left. Okay. So, yeah. And we were there for two years then. So, uh, so yeah, we're seeing it through the eyes of children really and I, d- I did go back and all the houses are so much smaller <laughs> so uh but yeah so when we first got there the first thing you don't notice is when you walk off the plane you're gonna notice the smell it, it uh <laughs> the the privileges and blessings we have in this country start with air quality <laughs> um but the weather is nice. Uh, where we were, it rarely got above 80. And oh. rare, rarely, at night it would, but during the day it was like never below 70. So okay. uh, you had dry season, rainy season. Uh, so in that regard, it's kind of nice. Uh, unless you really like the snow, and you'll miss it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, Once you got out into the countryside, the air quality improved considerably. And uh, there's pretty much no humidity. So someone with asthma like me and mom really enjoyed even just the air quality. Like, as far as climate goes, it doesn't get much better. So where you guys were at, was it uh, jungle? Was it green? Was it lush? Was it arid? So where the mission compound was, was in the center of, at that time, three different churches so there was one right at the compound, and then there was three that we would travel through throughout the uh, month. Each month we'd go to a different one of them. Uh, two of them were in semi-desert, uh, and they were pretty dry. Where the compound was was pretty green, um, and then the one church was up in the mountains, and it was really green up there. No jungle, though, but uh, really green, really wet. Okay. And so the, the people... Um, and so we went through some cities. There's some cities about 20 minutes from the compound was the first decent-sized city. is really poor yet. And in, the, in there, you got a lot of uh, homeless um, street kids and stuff. And at least 50%, if not like 90% of them, are running around with a little glue bottle stuck in their teeth. So their teeth are like wedged apart just so that they can fit the bottle of glue in their teeth. So they're smelling that all day. Uh, and keeping them high. Uh, you can't have windows open. Uh, you can't have things in your back pocket, and if you have them in the front pocket, you basically have to have a hand on it. Uh, it will be gone so fast. Uh, you're not going to keep a watch on your wrist. They, they can work miracles when it comes to getting watches <laughs> off your wrist. <laughs> so, uh, And then where the compound was, uh, we were right in between two small towns, uh, right right outside of a trading t- town with four different tribes uh, in this town that traded and all that. I don't know the population. It's a decent population, um, but it's pretty poor. I can't remember population, but pretty poor. A uh, lot of shops. Uh, your stores would be like the size of your bedroom. You'd have a clothing store or a tailor in something about the size of a bedroom. And you have a bunch of them 
all in one building. One of the reasons why I wanted you guys on this podcast, as as we talked, and we talked a couple different times, you were telling me how when you first got there, how um, how positive things generally were, how you guys were uh, a good influence, and you were making a difference, and uh, very, very positive. And then <clears throat> the longer you were there, the atmosphere started to change, and then you started... Um, things socially started started breaking down and a lot of different reasons why and we really don't care i really don't want to get into you know why did this happen or why did or why did that happen but more uh, what i want to talk about and what i'd like you guys to share and that the people listening will be interested in this is how things started breaking down and as it broke down what were some of the first signs what were some of the you know things that you saw that you experienced as everything really started to to, to fall apart um, so you have in this note uh, at the very beginning that people could be really friendly. And yeah. so that was your experience at first. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. People were very can... friendly and upbeat, generally speaking. And uh, especially some of the church people, some of the, the more uh, nice Christian people always had a smile on their face, even though dirt poor. Some of them uh, towards the middle I would say of the time that we were there in Kenya, we set up uh, a system where they could come give us a couple of shillings and take a bucket of water, and that was their only source of water. But always, some of them always cheerful, and uh, generally, generally, a much friendlier atmosphere than you would expect from a uh, third world country. And just for the record, the shillings they gave for that went to drill another well because the well would go dry during the dry season. Gotcha. So. Okay. So then right below that, um, that note you guys have that, uh, there were times when gangs would take over the town. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Yeah. So I think the first time was about, it was in the third month we were there. The a gang came in, took over the town. Uh, there was a military base, not too far from us. Uh, so, gang came over and took over the town in the morning. We had some shooting and stuff. So, describe to me the, describe to us the, the gang. Well, what, what would you mean by that? So, uh, this gangs um, from the Bakat tribe mainly, uh, in the area we were in anyhow, uh, cattle wrestlers is what they were okay. primarily. So, they would go steal cattle from the, the mountains usually and stuff because the cattle are fatter run them through a woods line that ran past close, fairly close to the mission and uh, out into Uganda where they would sell them and trade them usually for more AKs and guns and stuff because, uh, you know, no one had guns there because they were illegal. So, uh -huh, yeah. so these gangs totally weren't using those. They didn't need them. <laughs> <laughs> those laws kept everything safe, right? Yeah, everyone was safe because there was no, like, you know, there's no guns, no 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 problem <laughs> um but yeah so that was that was kind of their gig is they would steal the cattle and uh go and sell it to uganda and trade it for food money okay. guns so then they would also through their i guess stealing through, through uh stealing those cattle rustling those cattle then they would come into the town that you guys lived or lived next to or close to and what was that like um, mostly we just couldn't go to town for a while. Uh, you'd have military trucks running down the road and cause we we're in between the two towns, what they would do is they'd start shooting up the lower town 
And then when the military trucks and all of w- arrived in that town, they start shooting up the upper town. So they just had the military running back and forth and, uh, yeah, not really doing anything. Usually, if you needed help, the cops would make sure to be there 30 minutes after it was safe. So. <laughs> Typical. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, overall, pretty interesting. People were surprisingly cheerful, even, even when that was going on. Um, people weren't too concerned, uh, almost nonchalant about it. Okay. Anything else you guys would like to to say or to share about your first impressions or what it was generally like there? The roads were surprisingly worse than Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that needs to be a T-shirt right there. Yeah. When <laughs> when I went back to visit in 2016, it actually blew out one of the uh, the rear. Over there is the driver's side, the right side of the Toyota Land Cruiser. So that's how bad the roads are. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We, we told the rental company where we, we were taking it, and they're like, I don't think you can take this there. And we're like, oh, we've been here before. It's fine. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The roads, we, were, we went to a place where we hadn't been before, and we kind of just regretted not. Uh, we went to the Masai Mara. We regretted not being able to go there. Um, so... Those roads, if you would have a speed bump and before the speed bump ends, a speed bump in that speed bump, basically that pretty well describes the road. Gotcha. Yeah. What about, um? so everyone, when they think of Africa, at least you know, a lot of people who think of Africa who haven't been there, <laughs> a lot of people who have been there, they think of a lot of crazy wild uh, diseases and stuff. Was there anything that was uh, chronic or anything that was you know prevalent in the area? Malaria. Okay. Very bad. Uh, we got it a lot. I know I got it more than six times in the two years that we were there. Um, so chronic, you would know when you'd have it. So when you'd get the medicine for it, you wouldn't have to go to a doctor. You could go right to the chemist and get the uh, the medicine, which cost about 25 cents. 25 cents. And people are dying because they can't afford it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that and... Uh, in the two churches that were in the uh, semi-desert, or I, there's a proper word for it. Anyhow, they had typhoid in the river. So their only water source also had typhoid uh, in it. So that was pretty prevalent there. And you got your stuff you get from not cooking your meat properly or not preparing it properly. Not boiling your water. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all things that we tried to help them understand and learn, you know, what to do. A lot of them had no idea. Like, uh, when we got there, they would have their bathrooms, no toilet, uh, no way to wash your hands after anything. They'd just go do that and then go right to preparing food or whatever. Uh, by the time we left, they all had, like, a little wash station outside. <laughs> so was, That's nice. You, okay. you, you can see, it's nice to see something like that, you know. <laughs> So as you guys got there and you were there for a couple of months, did you have much interaction? Well, of course you have interaction with, with, with the local people there. But did you have any, uh, like, any friends or develop any like, real relationships with, with some of the people there? Yeah, yeah. Jeff and I personally had a couple friends each 
lot of younger guys our age going to church there. Really good to see. And our parents made good relationships with a couple of the locals. Yeah, um, we had a decent-sized yard, so soccer tournaments between, like, the different areas. Like, we'd divide up the areas and be like, all right, so we have four teams here. Let's have, you know, uh, at least once a week two of the teams would compete and just see. Okay. You know, that was fun. And uh, post-church volleyball every Sunday. <laughs> yes, yeah. So. And, and uh, ping pong. A lot of ping pong. We'd have – We'd have like twenty people lined up for ping pong, and you just go around. If you beat everyone, you had to sit out and let it go all the way around back to you, and then you could go again. So, all right, sounds like a fun time. Yeah. So, I remember one of the classes that we were at. I forget which one of you said to me that, "Hey, I'm an American. So because I'm an American, I I would would have that hunting rifle. I might not know how to use the gun, but but I'd have it because I'm an American." But because of the experience I had in Kenya, I have an AR and I know how to use it. So with that, you know, precursor, um, let's start talking about what happened. So you were there for a while um, doing, you know, as a family, serving the people there as, as missionaries, trying to help them in all kinds of ways, you know, physically emotionally, spiritually, you know, you were doing everything that, that you could to, to serve and to love those people. And then a crisis began to develop and, and happen, and you guys lived through that. Um, why don't you guys you know, tell us about that? What were some of the first indicators that things were going to go bad and much worse than just a, a, a gang of wrestlers coming into town and taking over for, for a couple of days or, or whatever? Well, politically, um, things were getting heated up as they do, but, you know, more than usual, people were disagreeing harder, I would say, and you could tell in the way people talked, the way they acted towards each other, those really cheery church people I talked about before started to get more and more somber because it was getting just more and more tense. Um, And were the tensions falling along? political lines or are they falling along uh, family and tribal lines or are just the overall conditions were driving people that way the political and tribal lines were being divided at the same time uh the two main candidates for the presidency were of two rival tribes so you can see how that wouldn't help the uh the tensions the, the happy always upbeat positive parishioners now everyone's starting to get somber everything yeah so w- why is that why i mean what was happening so as, as things got heated one of the one of the uh things that i thought was interesting you know due to being like 13 was their way of getting their message out for their politicians they'd strap a megaphone to a truck and you just have trucks with megaphones going up and down the road and they'd be giving out like oranges or pennies, well, not actual pennies, but you know. Yeah. Uh, and so you'd have like these group of people like following these trucks and being like, "Oh yeah, we'll vote for you." And some some of our friends would just go every time a truck went past, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we'll vote for you," and they'd get their orange or their penny, and they'd, be like, they'd come back great and be like, "I'm not voting for them. I can't vote," <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I don't like that party. Um, but as 
these things were going on and it was getting closer and closer, uh, people's disagreements uh, were more noticeable, they're more irritable. Uh, a few times, even in my friend groups, they would uh, get an argument about who's better, who would do better. Um, and they, they would start in fights as well. Uh, and you'd see it in in the news every now and then. You'd see it someone got beat to death or stuff like that. You, you, we were careful about where we went and where we were. Uh, it got more dangerous um, to go to, like, the city or anywhere because you get these bigger groups of guys and stuff that were more irritable. And uh, you just didn't want to get between two groups that were disagreeing. Um, and you had to be careful. It was very tribal as well. The the one was the current president running for re-election. Um, and his, his tribe, as we get uh, more into what happened, is the unfortunate tribe. Unfortunate. Uh, okay. Yeah. So people were feeling that tension. Um, with the threat of violence and then with, with actually real violence. And I, I'm assuming then just because of, of, of history there, people knew that things could, could get really bad and could, could go bad pretty quickly. And y you guys, you personally experienced some of that uh, with your friends. And with their association with you, uh, their, their parents were, were competing for, for local community leadership. Yeah, yeah. So there's bit of a power struggle there and uh ended up uh attacking um myself and my brother chasing us with a machete it was your best friend there yes and you guys are good buds and then all of a sudden like completely can't catch you by surprise he came at you with a machete yeah yeah so like hanging out every every single day like uh we actually lived like right next to each other basically um yeah and uh it's one of those things where every day i would wait for him to get back from school since i was homeschooled i was done at like 12 yeah and i'd i would know what time he's coming back and get ready to play ping pong soccer depending on you know what we had planned that that kind of thing but yeah uh i was r walking down to meet him and i could tell that there's like this different look in his eye and he just pulled out a machete and started chasing me with it and uh, so I ran back to the house and uh, locked the door, and then immediately, and then uh, immediately was like I I shouldn't have ran like a coward, you know. <laughs> so I was I was gonna go back out and face him even though I I didn't have anything. <laughs> and mom's like, no, you did the right thing. And I was like, well, no, because I want to be a man. I don't want to run, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, but uh. Then later he ended up uh, punching Austin's closest friend. Like, so what, what happened there? Um, all I can remember, because as a young kid I was six, uh, probably seven at this point, but I was talking with my, uh, my friend, and uh, Jeffrey's friend comes walking up. Oh, great, you know, he's over. He's fun to be around. He comes up and he tells my friend that he shouldn't be there, uh, my friend doesn't leave, so he socks him across the jaw, 
Um, he, he didn't, I don't know 100% whether he died or not. Mom said she thinks he made it, but I can't be sure because he, either he way he got home. some serious infection on his jaw. It was, his jaw was broke like three different places. And just the fact that he got infection and stuff, if he did make it, he didn't make it for long. I don't think not in, not, not in Kenya, not in the area we were in there. You, we were in. Um, healthy people went to the hospital to get sick, and sick people went there to die. Um, it's not not good. Yeah, so he didn't have a fun time. He didn't die there, but he did go home. Didn't see him or any of his family the rest of the time we were there. But, yeah. And I did, when, when we went back, I ha- did see his older brother. I didn't see him, so. Okay. Yeah. Another experience I had with him, and I don't know when this was in relationship to the uh, other things that happened there, is one time I was out behind the mission house by myself, and he beckoned me down to the back gate. I went, and he said, I want to show you something. As soon as I got there, his uh, his demeanor changed, and he pulled a knife out on me. But and luckily for me, I played soccer almost every day, and he was fat, so. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't catch fat by Kenyan standards. Totally normal person here in America. Just skinny to our standards, I'd say. <laughs> he, he's about what I am now. <laughs> okay. So you guys had some of this experience, and you could see tensions uh, were, were starting to rise. Did you guys ex- think or did you expect things would go as bad as they did? Any kind of indications, or did that still really catch you guys by surprise? So, so we did expect it to go kind of south. Uh, we didn't expect it to go as far south as it did. Um, we There was an attempt made to get out of the country ahead of time, but there was something with flights or something couldn't – it didn't get. It didn't happen. Um, thankfully, we had – we're used to having to, you know, have three, f- four weeks – of food storage and uh, water storage, which is a big deal. Like a lot of people, if you have food storage, have water storage. Have it in your house. Uh, water's heavy. You're not gonna. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna be carrying it for a mile. You're not. You're not gonna want to carry it for a hundred yards, especially uphill. Especially if you don't want to be outside. Uh, just a side thought. <laughs> no, that's well said. So, so talk us to you know coming up to to the crisis and how things started to to shape up and the events that started happening. Yeah, so once they started counting the votes, it was pretty tense. Um, the guy that they say won was the president, or the, uh, sorry, the guy that won. Election fraud never happens. You don't question it. But the guy that won... Um, He was the previous president, and I guess some people didn't like that. Um, the uh, The morning was pretty nice. It was sun- a Sunday morning. Uh, Dad went to church by himself. Other than that, it was pretty normal. Uh, he took the bike that the mission had, and on his way back through, he was going to go into town one more time, grab some things. And the cops were leaving town, coming up the road, and they wave him down, and they're like, if you go in there, 
you will die. If you go down there, if you go down this road, you will die. Just go, go home. And uh, so he came in, and we're going to lock up the gate. And they said, no, we're coming in too. And they came in, pr- propped boards up against the gate, and we're uh, hanging out there the, for the a while. The police were there. The police okay. were there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and these ones, they had a vehicle, but generally they weren't armed unless they were special. And I don't remember seeing these guys armed or anything. So they basically had clubs. Sunday, de- December 30th. Uh, the, so the first notable thing that if you look it up, this is what they'll say is the first thing that happened. Uh, 50 women and children were locked in a church and it was burned and they were burned alive in it. That, that kicked it off. Uh, and that happened pretty much right after the election was called. Um. So, so it was Sunday around noon. Uh, we locked down the mission house. The cops are like right there. Uh, they do eventually before dark, they left. <clears throat> and then at some point, some military guys came and they were there for a little bit and they, they left as well. Um, I'm assuming um, you haven't mentioned any weapons or any tools to protect yourself. So, I'm assuming as a mission, you guys, you, you didn't have anything. Um, to protect yourselves. So you really were relying on the local police or military for any kind of uh, physical protection. So so at this point, we we knew the local police and military well enough to know we weren't getting anything from them either. Okay. Uh, so no, we didn't have any protection. What we did have is the mission we were, house we were living in was built by a missionary 10 years before, and it was concrete and brick. Brick and concrete at least... The walls are at least 10 inches thick um, with windows with steel, steel barred windows and all that. So that that's all we had for protection is to lock ourselves in, um, which didn't make you feel too good when you could see burnings happening on either side. Either t- uh, There is a building not too far from us that was housing a lot of people. That thing got burnt to the ground. Is probably 200 yards from the where we were. Uh, you, before nightfall, you could see the glow from the town. We were like a mile and a half from the town center, and you could see the glow from there, from them burning it down. Now, all this violence taking place in, in this town, did it happen because, uh, obviously, it's happening all over the country, but in this town specific, was it because of, there's four different districts, four different tribes that were there, so they were all going at each other, or was there <coughs> differences? Yeah, so there was, there, it was a little bit, I, it was pretty much over the whole country, and there was a little bit of tribal stuff taking mm-hmm. place where we were. Uh, every now and then they'd have tribal battles where they'd have, uh, uh, different ceremonies and stuff you'd see them wear the tribal gear and there'd be like minor skirmishes sometimes but but nothing, nothing like this like this nothing okay like this. so what do you remember i mean you you saw the globe what else was going on that you guys saw that you heard that you witnessed that you smelled <laughs> uh i want to say when dad went out to get rice the one time he he was shot at only one shot and it went above his head somewhere but close enough that he heard it you know crack right past him uh 
my personal experience, I was locked inside as a six-year-old. Mom wouldn't let me, you know, even go to a window or anything. So, yeah, yeah. the the attic windows though, you could see into the town and see into the area above us, and uh, so you would go to the attic and look at them anyway. You uh-huh. would, you would get about twenty minutes before mom comes up. I told you not to be at that window. Uh-huh. Drags you back downstairs. Yeah. So that was it. so. Uh, even before this, a little bit, we had some people come that were nervous. Uh, once this started, we got people coming, especially from the tribe. This guy was that one. Uh, we had a good bit of them hiding in our house, and yeah, we. Thankfully, we had a lot of eggs, a decent amount of rice, and plenty of water in the compound. Uh, we were used to being out without electricity for up to three weeks at a time sometimes. Uh, and we just always had st- food storage, although we did run through s- so much rice that three w- three weeks in or so, we had to go get some more, and that's when he was shot Okay, so, <coughs> so this started on... Uh, December 30th. How long was this this civil unrest? How long were, were things going on? So you just said three weeks. You were there hunkered down trying to wait it out for at least three weeks? Longer than that? And you had people that were coming to you that you were providing for? Yeah, yeah. So it started December 30th and it went until... February, I think it went till the end of February. We we got out before all the civil unrest finished, so that is not something that's uh, superimposed on our memory. We looked it up, but for, forgot yeah, it, it promptly after looking it, it up. Yeah, I thought I wrote it down, but apparently not. Um, yeah, so it was February something. You probably looked that up. I s- so how long were you guys then locked down? So we got out. So we stayed in the compound until early February. Okay. Uh, we did. Dad did have to make a run for some more supplies, but generally we stayed locked in. Um, so there was gaps. So you would, if you needed something, you went early in the morning just as the sun was up because that's when everyone was going to bed that was causing all this because they were they would get out sometime after lunch and they'd burn things all night long uh it's something where it's hard to say what happened if you look up the numbers uh, of how bad it was they're lying to you uh dad had friends different missionaries in different areas and in Eldoret there was bodies just laying in the streets and the dogs were eating them um get that kind of thing going on in the town we were in uh, at least two people got skinned alive um a lot of people died a lot of people missing like there there's friends we have that we just never seen them again so you just assume the worst really there was some some of the people in the streets that the dogs were eating were senators um heads on stakes was not uncommon um yeah. So when did you, when did your family, when did your your father, mother decide? Okay, well, we have to get out. And then how did you, how did you as a family prepare for that? And what did you do to get out? So 
So the first thing dad did to try to get us out is he went to the military base. There was a guy there that he didn't see this guy go to this guy, but there was a guy there. The reason he knew about it and knew the base, they would come borrow our mower, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the one guy was nice to us, would come ask us questions to go. They were kind of spying on us, we think. But uh, he went there first and he told him, hey, I want to get my family out of here. How much does it cost to get a uh, military escort? Um, and they said, oh, it's pretty well calmed down. This is like four, four weeks in, I think, somewhere about there. Uh, he's like, well, calm down. It should, you should be pretty safe if you go, you know. And dad's like, yeah, I know, but we're just missionaries and I have a family and it's just me and I'm kind of weak. I'm not like a strong military man like yourself, you know, like I'm, I'm a little bit of a coward compared to you military guys. You uh-huh. know? It's like, and he's like, I'm not sending any of my men out there. Are you crazy? I don't want them to die. <laughs> <laughs> so dad was like, well, you know, so we hunkered down for a little bit longer, but eventually when we did get out, so we had to go, to Nairobi to get to the airport to get out, um, which was 10 hours. Uh, it could be longer. It could be less, depending on traffic. I think we made it in like eight. First thing, break a little bit before the break of dawn because we didn't want anyone in the town knowing we were leaving. And we were leaving it. We left the compound in charge of a really good friend, a really good guy. Uh, gave him the keys and we're like, hey, you know, keep it locked down. If anyone's giving you trouble, if they're not, we are, we had to send the one family away because they wouldn't stay inside. They were the, they were the tribe that was being hunted and they wanted to hang out in the front yard. <laughs> and we're like, no, if you if you can't stay inside, you have to go. You're endangering everyone else. So, uh, we ended up sending them, I guess they went back to their home. Um, we left, just before dawn, got out of the town where people wouldn't recognize a vehicle and know who's leaving, who it is. And uh, on the way out, you were just, as we exited the town, you, it was daylight because I, I remember it just as clear as day, you know, just completely burnt. Like you had some block walls standing yet. And I was like, we used to buy milk in there. <laughs> Not anymore. And the town is kind of on this hill. Normally you wouldn't be able to see it because there's buildings, but you kind of like see up, you can see over the hill and kind of the lay of the land kind of and just these piles of rubble. Mm-hmm. And even some buildings that were blocked and stuff, knocked down, knocked over. Uh, so that was something. And then on the way out, as it started getting brighter, you'd see people just kind of dead-eyed basically like I don't know how to describe the look and like just despair in some of these people eyes like beside the road with what little belongings they had left we ended we drove past that church I mentioned earlier you know it was still smoking uh, and there's a church like right next to it that was being used as a refugee camp and just the whole grounds every square inch of the grounds was like bedding laying down like different colors different people were laying just across the whole ground uh of that church uh 
and then as it got the day went on you're getting into like later in the day two three o'clock the people that were causing trouble started to wake up and you see a difference in that crowd yeah uh we were going to a place in nairobi where there's other missionaries uh it's kind of the place we were going to a lot of missionaries use it as a hub the people that are there their mission basically is they help missionaries okay get in and get out uh so we were going there uh thankfully when we were there we were safe but as we were doing this the riots were still happening especially it calmed down a little bit more in the outskirts but in the cities it was still pretty major there was a clip i saw somewhere i don't know where in the one city there where the riots were happening that the army had a road blocked off and stuff, keeping them over to one end. And there was a uh, reporter from somewhere in Europe. Uh, and the guy just comes charging them, and they, they shoot the guy. And she goes, you just killed the guy. You can't just kill people like that. And he <sighs> goes, no, no, it was a sleeping dart. He's asleep. <laughs> Gosh. He's, he's sleeping. And they throw him on a stretcher. And throw him in the back of one yeah. of their vehicles, and he's like, "We're taking him to hospital. Like, he'll be fine. He's sleeping." Gosh, that—that—that's just kind of the mentality that the military has, you know, and the, and the people have in general. But it, like, so we got out. The official ending was like two weeks after we got out. Uh, what they did is they agreed to joint power. Okay. And that pretty that soothed the uh, people, but the president had previously had said, "I don't care if you kill every single member of my tribe. I'm president, and that's how it's gonna stay." All right. So you guys, you got out, um, and I know that that experience certainly impacted who you are, and. Uh, everything that you've done since then. As you guys have, you lived through that and you got home, got back to the States, and just as you've, you know, over the years you've grown and you've thought about it, um, what were, if you knew you had to live through something like that again, uh, what do you wish you guys would have done differently? What, what could you have done to be better prepared to deal with that level of social unrest and that level of, uh, of isolation. More food storage. Um, in that house, we had a huge water tank. Um, so water is like way more important than you think. Like while this was happening, we were the main water source for a lot of people there. So while this was happening, people that weren't taking refuge, they weren't part of the tribe that was being hunted down, so they weren't as in as much danger. But if the crowd decided they didn't like you, you know, this was the time people were killing you for whatever reason they wanted. Um, but people would still come for water in the morning. Uh, so we just had the well open, and, you know, people would come get their water. Uh, have, have water. That's probably going to be the biggest problem for a lot of people is if you're in an area where you don't have to flee and your plan is to hunker down, you should have water uh, and, and then food. Um, if you do have to move, uh, you want to do it. Most likely you'll want to do it early morning. Uh, if you're in a city, um, 
pray a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it happened in a morning. It went from tension to all-out unrest, whatever you want to call it. Um, So just... If it's if it's really tense and there's something that you think is gonna make it boil over, make sure you're where you wanna be when that happens because there's a good chance if you live somewhere more populated, even if it's not a city, you're not gonna be able to go anywhere safely. Yeah, if you have a a decent house and you're able to put like really heavy duty curtains, blankets over your windows, board them, board them shut. Get have plywood, plywood your windows shut. Um, and don't use lights and hope no one knows you're still living there and hope no one just feels like burning your house down. I I would also recommend if you, if you're in a situation where you think you will absolutely have to go outside at some point, have some kind of Kevlar vest so you can have some protection from a knife, smaller, some, some pistol rounds or something without being too obvious. Because if you show up with plate armor, you're going to be the focus of everyone's day. You guys did attend the that armor seminar that Flynn teaches, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so that's one of the things in there. Uh, I'm assuming that you appreciated his approach to it with it being uh, modular to add to and take away and stay as low vis as, as possible until, until yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Okay. It's, it's similar to open carrying. You can do it, but if something were to happen, you would be the first one to get shot yeah what else in hindsight what are some other things that so we should have had more food on hand um i know you talked about it with your friend that was in the was it a hurricane or something where his street got blocked off pretty much yeah he didn't he had food for himself but he ended up feeding his whole neighborhood yeah the whole subdivision percent a hundred percent. That's what's going to happen. Um, and I mean, if you're st- using this food storage stuff, a lot of it's not terrible. Uh, last 10, 20 years, you know, cycle through it. You eat it, you know. Um, it's not expensive meals if you're actually using it. It's not terrible. Uh, I would also say have a plan if you have to take in refugees you know, have a plan for how to take care of them, how to keep them busy, or how to keep them <clears throat> somewhere where you're safe from them. Yeah, don't if you have to. Don't let them know where your food is. Uh, if you have to let them in your house, make sure you have a way to make sure they don't know exactly where you're feeding them from. And uh, if if they're worst case scenario, if this is like a drawn out thing, and you know it's going to be drawn out. If they're useless to you. If they're not willing to help, they have to move on. They don't just drain you. You know, you can't, it, it's, you have to think about, like, people that came over and started this country. Uh, was it Jonestown? You could, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And then you don't have to do things like that, probably. Jamestown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I appreciate you guys sharing that. I know this is just a recording and I'm sure you guys are listening. Uh, you can hear the sincerity in their voices and I wish you could see their faces because this is, it's still very uh, real and very emotional 
and I really am thankful that you guys were willing to come on and in this very public format, you know, share these personal experiences. Um, if it wasn't so personal, it'd probably be a lot easier and you could tell more humorous stories and, you know, and, but because this is real, because there's nothing fictitious about anything that you've said and shared, um, that, that sincerity comes across. Uh, how are you guys different now? What do you do differently now than, uh, well, you know, that, I can't even really ask that question because you're talking about when you were 12, 13 and when you were, you know, six, seven years old. So it definitely impacted your life. How do you think you are a different now and your behaviors are different now than if you imagined that you would never have had that experience? Yeah, so for me personally, I know one of the main things is is it's I'm not as trusting as people as I would be. Um, I, I know I used to, I mean, I, I, looking back, I was pretty young, so of course I was pretty trusting and stuff. And sometimes, you know, I'll trust people pretty. I, I, I'm okay with, like, taking a quick look at someone and just evaluating what they look like and what they're doing in, like, 10 seconds. I'll be like, okay, I can trust him or mm-hmm. not. Uh, but to really, really trust someone, it's a lot harder. I, I would I would assume having your, your good friend that you hang out with and, and, and play, you know, soccer or, what'd you say, ping pong yeah. Uh, yeah. all the time, and then all of a sudden he's coming at you with machete, uh, yeah, that I might have some issues, you know, trusting, really trusting yeah. people too. I didn't mean to cut you off, you were saying. No, you're, you're good. Um, but on the flip side of that, uh, with with my brother here, like, I don't know if anyone quite as close. Like, th- it happens, but I know no matter what, he has my back and no matter what. I got his back, and, like, that that can drive me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would say it's a, it's a brotherhood that, um, well, it's a real Forged brother. in fire. A real brotherhood, <laughs> but we also have a lot of a lot in common with the way uh, a lot of military and cops would say they have a brotherhood. We 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 have some of both because of that experience. But I would say for me, um, the biggest difference is that I think uh, that I would be if if I didn't go through that. I wouldn't be as serious as I am. I wouldn't be nearly as safe with firearms or explosives as I am. Um, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be trying to better myself the way I am. Cause I wouldn't think it really matters. You know, life's a, America is what the world is. You know, life's a fairy tale. Uh, my biggest problem is gas is over $4, right? <laughs> you know, but, um, I would also say, yes, I would, trust people a lot more and it would it would probably be a lot easier for me to just go up to a random stranger and talk to them like they're my friend because uh because I could do that when I was a kid I know I'm a kid but I picked up the language in two months I was more fluent in Swahili than I was in English you know after that experience at the end of the trip we got back to America I promptly dropped the language so I know one word Mzungu means white person (laughs) (laughs) We were we were called that a lot. So yeah, you you'd have a gang of like fifty kids or more following you, Mizungu, 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 and <laughs> just all day, every day. <laughs> the, the tactic was to have a bunch of cheap crackers, so you're giving them something, so they get their cracker and they they run off. So you'd have to have like thirty things of crackers, one for each kid, to get them to go away, yeah. so you don't have a crowd around you. 
Okay. Any uh any last thing, any last parting uh words of wisdom? If you're looking for words of wisdom, I don't know if I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> okay. Surround you your, oh. Go ahead. Surround yourself with good people that make you better. I always look for that person that's better than me. I try to be around them and learn what I can from them. Yeah. Uh, be careful not to let your ego get in the way of you learning something new. Uh, don't think uh, you know it all just because you've been doing it for a while or whatever. Like, you can always learn something new, so... You know, as you guys were talking, I, I know I've shared here once or twice. Um, you mentioned that, that brotherhood and uh, that sweet old lady at church, Elsie Shade, uh, nice woman. And uh, I just knew her as a sweet old woman until I came back for my first deployment. And then, you know, that way she realized, oh, okay, you've deployed. You've seen combat. You've seen a thing or two. Now you're in the club. And then that's when she opened up and started talking to me about her and her family fleeing the Nazis and then fleeing the, the communists during World War II. And, uh, and you guys kept saying over and over again, water. You, you even stressed that more than, than food. Have stored water, have stored water. And, and her, she was telling me, Jared, make sure your kids all have shoes. Everyone has to have shoes on because when they come, they have to have shoes on their feet when they flee. Make sure you have good shoes. So and she didn't elaborate, but I'm, I'm only assuming that either her or one of her siblings probably had to run away with just bare feet in the ice and snow running through the forest trying to get away. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, our experience, we didn't have to deal with the cold. So that's a whole nother, uh, it's a whole nother obstacle. Yeah. And we didn't have to run, so... <laughs> <laughs> We did have to trust our vehicle, though. So if you don't have a reliable vehicle on hand, you might want to think about that. Yeah, like, especially if you're not going to be able to just hunker down where you are. Yeah. And even if you think you can, that you're not, not necessarily, not necessarily. You, you never know. You, you can't know what you don't know. Yeah, you know? very true. Well, gentlemen, thank you. It's really been a privilege getting to know you guys. And uh, hanging out during Light Fighter and hanging out, uh, you know, different times through, through some classes and stuff. And I really appreciate you guys um, being willing to come and to share these uh, these experiences, which are very, you know, still very personal. Um, and I know not everyone, but the vast majority of people listening appreciate it, too. And now you've given them something to think about. And uh, that's what that's why I invited them here is I wanted you guys to hear their story, hear their experience because it was real. And then think about your own lives. What are some ways that you can improve as an individual? What's another skill set that you can add? Uh, who's that good friend that you can bring a little bit closer into your, your inner circle? Uh, who's that person that, you know, he's he's really not that good of a guy and, and he needs to get he needs to get pushed out. He needs to get, get kicked out. Um, and then also to uh, – reevaluate what more supplies can we do how can we be more self-reliant apparently uh, all of us need to have a little bit more water so yeah <laughs> store a little bit more water 
Hydration is important. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. The average American can go a lot longer without food than water. <laughs> the average American probably don't need food storage at all. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys, and uh, thank you for listening. And you guys stay safe. We'll talk to you again next time. Water's precious. Sometimes it can be more precious than gold. <laughs>